Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is a Soul Fire production. This is the earliest ever we've ever done a podcast. I know. Thank you so much for adjusting. Uh, I have to take my sweet Grant to uh, go on a job interview today. He's been without a job for two months. So mama is in town and I'm, I'm buckling things down and I completely spaced that we have an amazing show today. So, so let me let me just say something to everybody listening. I want to say good early morning. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good middle of the night. Good middle of the night, right? All right. right. So wherever you are, we're listening. We're glad you're here. It's just after eight o'clock in the morning, which which is uh, early for us. <laughs> <laughs> it it is. It yeah. is. It is. Bliss's hair, do- hair is wet, and I've still got crusty stuff in my eyes. So let's get <laughs> let's get to it. Um, Bliss, I have to tell you that. Your your uh, reels, your two reels from the podcast we did when we were in Santa Barbara have just taken off. Uh, there are people that I've ne- that I follow that that have nothing to do with birth <laughs> that are playing your reel. So that really? that's fantastic. One of them actually mis- mistakenly thought the numbers where you went one point two to one point four to one point eight or whatever thought they were talking about COVID deaths in pregnant women. <laughs> Oh, really? That was a leak, but okay. I correct. I corrected them. Thank um, you. But uh, still, still the fact that they picked up on what you were saying was great. It was one of the great highlights of our podcast reel. So congratulations on that. It's Oh, it was, thanks, it was, Stu. Uh, it's interesting. We have, we have a common friend, Ivy Joeva, who's been on our podcast before, who has moved now from Bali to Portugal. Portugal, thank you so much for saving my ass on that one. Um, and uh, she wrote to me and just said, you know, I think you're finally finding your voice. And I told her, I said, you know, when you get older and you have zero fucks to give, you just um, you just say what you have to say, because how much more time do we have left to actually make an impact? That's kind of I think that's kind of where that that came from. And this frustration that comes out for me once in a while, like, what do I have to say for people to actually be able to hear? um, how amazing this is. So, yeah, it was just, it was, it was glorious. And, you know, people will call, well, you were on a rant or you were on a roll or you were monologuing, probably monologuing was really good. Um, uh, but it was, it was great. I mean, when you went into the things about, uh, you know, you, uh, mothers are, are miraculous and, um, and then how they get disempowered and all that, it was just great. So I want people to, if they haven't heard that, I need to go back and listen to the podcast. I think it's podcast 265, but it's where we were. Uh, it's live from uh, Santa Barbara. It's Thursday night. It was the name of the podcast. <laughs> Thanks to you. Thanks and for the left. Yeah, well, it's great. Mm-hmm. And. Um, oh, and I like the part where you said you know, about talked about transformers, too. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for a call from Michael Bay. Uh, but, yeah, but we, but we didn't get it. But maybe that'll be the next uh, sequel. <laughs> <laughs> women giving birth as transformers. No, tra- transformer women giving birth. Yeah. How come? I don't know that there are. Any, have there been any female transformers? I don't think there have been. 
I, I would defer to you on the expertise of the transformer. Mm, I can't think sequels. of one. I can't <laughs> think of one. I wonder how they do reproduce. Good question. It's kind of like dwarfs. There are no female dwarfs, or they think look just like the male dwarfs. They don't really know. They just pop up out of the ground. Like they... Wow. Wow. Keep going. Keep going. There's <laughs> okay. nothing to see here. Okay. <laughs> so I'm off to I'm off tomorrow. Um again, by the time this comes out, I'll be back already. But I'm off tomorrow to Sedona. I'm very excited about that. Me too. And I just wanted to to recap um a little bit about my upcoming schedule. It's a little bit of self-promotion, but I think it's probably reasonable to put it out there so people understand because I'm getting inquiries from all, are you coming to our area, you're coming to this area, you're coming to that area? I always refer people to the events page at birthinginstincts.com, but I thought I'd just rattle it off real quick. So, all right. Um, well, these ones are over already. So we, we were in uh, Redding, California and Honolulu. We're going to be in Sedona, July 9th and 10th. August 4th, I'll be in Greenville, South Carolina. September 10th and 11th, I'll be in Kansas City, Kansas. Oh, you know, it's not even up there yet, but I'm going to be the week before that. I'm going to be in Omaha. I think the last, I think maybe the 27th of August, I'm going to be in Omaha, Nebraska. So we got to get Emily to correct that. That's not up yet. On September 18th, I'll be in, uh, I'll be in Medicine Bow, Wyoming. On September 29th and 30th, I'm going to be in Bozeman, Montana. On October 14th and 15th, I'll be teaching breach in Fort Collins, Colorado. The 21st and 22nd, I'll be back in my one of my favorite places, Austin, Texas, with all my buds there. And October 29th and 30th, the following week, I'll be in Dallas, Texas. Nice. So things are people are they're they're eager to learn. Um, you know, again, it's almost all midwives. We get a once in a while we'll get a doctor that shows up, but uh we're keeping it alive. And I feel like I think I said at the one of the last podcasts, I feel things are changing feel things that there's there's a movement out there that's making those in the medical establishment more uncomfortable and they're getting a little more at times a little bit feistier and a little bit more adamant about their position uh, i expect fully that within the next couple of months we'll see a new paper from grunbaum and chervenak about the horrors of home birthing that'll be coming out soon i'll just forecast that <laughs> <laughs> with, um, your, with your crystal ball yeah. One more thing before we bring on a guest, because we have a guest today who is a, I'm friend, so of, excited. Is a friend of ours and uh, you know, extraordinary midwife. But I just wanted to say one little thing that I read in my um, American Association, or, excuse me, Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, which is a organization that represents the private practice of medicine. And therefore, I trust them because they're they're anything but supported by big corporate medicine or big pharma and they put out a newsletter every every month i think um this one says maybe every week this was just interesting to me this was a 1989 inflection point from 1989 according to robert f kennedy jr in an interview with mike tyson interestingly enough if you were born if you were born before 1989 Mm -hmm. your chance of having a chronic disease is 12 percent If you were born after 1989, it's 54%. In 1989, what happened? Hmm, let's see. Well, the CDC packed multiple doses of several more vaccines into childhood schedule. Every one of the injuries that has become an epidemic is listed as a side effect on the manufacturer's inserts of the 72 vaccine doses that are now mandated for our children. 
So whether it be eczema or autoimmune disorder or diabetes, uh, uh, juvenile di type, uh, type one, type two diabetes, uh, whatever it is, um, all these things uh, that, that are happening are listed as side effects on the package inserts of all the vaccines that have never been tested properly alone and certainly never been tested when they've been combined as they did with measles, mumps, rubella, or diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis, where they just took them and combined them without any testing whatsoever. And I think that that's a pretty remarkable increase in chronic disease. Yeah. 54% of kids born after 89 are going to end up with some sort of chronic disease. And we just ignore it. It's kind of like ignoring the 700,000 unnecessary C-sections that go on every, every year. Right. Kind right. of frustrating. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. So that's the end of the frustration. <laughs> I want to talk to um, our guest. I want to bring our guest on. And she is uh, somebody that I've worked with for a very long time. And long, I think long before I started doing home births with her, I, I, I can't remember, Lindsay, how long I've known you. But let me just introduce you real quickly. We have Lindsay Milas who is a licensed midwife. Whoop, whoop. She's a mom and a traditional spiritual midwife who has been serving childbearing women through birth, lactation, and emotionally through trauma release work since 2004. You do so much more than that. I made her write a small bio, so she had to leave a lot of stuff out. <laughs> she works in Southern California and has had the pure honor of witnessing over 1,300 births. She believes that quote, great grandma wisdom, unquote, is one of the most essential rememberings to tap back into during each rite of passage that we weave through as women in our lifetimes. And as Dr. Stu <laughs> weaves through it in his lifetime too. So Lindsay, welcome to the Birthing Instincts podcast. Hi guys. So good to be here. I can't believe it's taken this long for us to have this wonderful podcast discussion. I, both of us are such good friends. All three of us are such good friends. So it's so great to finally be here. Hi, beautiful. Hi, good morning. And I, um, I want to add, which I reminded Stu, um, that Lindsay is also a bridge midwife. Yes, I am. Yeah. So I had to ask what I had to ask what a bridge midwife slash traditional midwife, whatever, what, for our listeners, explain that, will you guys? Lindsay, I've talked about it before, so I'm going to let you talk about it this time so they can hear you. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because we finally have a name for it. I mean, we've been talking about what this traditional midwifery is and really what traditional midwifery is to me and to us is a way for us to bring back this traditional wise woman, you know, medicine woman of the village into medicine because it's been forgotten. You know, we look back throughout all of time and there was always this person that was in the town or in the village that everybody sought out that knew how to help with birth and knew how to help with a child's cough and knew how to help somebody pass even. Um, it's just completely forgotten about. And I think it's kind of been replaced with a family doctor, um, but family doctors throughout all of time have always been midwives. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> 
There we go. (laughs) Now, in regards to the bridge midwifery, what Bliss and I are doing is we're creating a website. We're creating a foundation where we can uh, weave in this wisdom into the traditional midwifery type based education um, where we can bridge between, you know, trying to incorporate this into the hospital and in corporate it into midwives and, um, you know, have peer reviews that you're not persecuted for, have a way to honor retiring midwives, have a way for us to come together and just be, um, in a place that's safe, which I feel like is really missing right now in our society with the political divisiveness that's happening. Yep. And, um, really capturing, um, some of the wisdom of these elder midwives who are getting older and will, you know, maybe not be in the physical form or may not be able to cognitively give those gifts at some point. So it's a way that we can capture this wisdom and, um, and honor it so that it can be passed down, which is what, how it's always been done is to pass down the oral tradition from midwife to midwife. Um, and so that's something that we're really passionate about. Yes. Yay. Love it. Can you guys elaborate a little bit on how you expect, or maybe you don't even expect, but how you plan to see this integrated into the hospital when still at so many hospitals, they're still often so resistant or hostile to anything that's being brought in from outside. And I know that I haven't made I haven't made a, a really strong effort, but I know the idea of me trying to even get in the hospital to speak. I, I did once this year uh, on, on something is very, very difficult. They're not even ready to accept it. How, how do we, how do we bridge the bridge? How do we do that? How do we, how do we make it work? How do we get into the, into the mindset of the American medical residents and the attendings that run our healthcare system? I think, you know, 2020 has changed everything. I've been doing birth since 2004. And when I started in 2004, it was a shit show. I mean, it still is a shit show, but, um, I feel like we started to see a little bit of change where I started getting invited to go and speak once a year to all the UCI, um, school of medicine residents, uh, about home birth. I had all of the residents asking me to attend births with me to see what that looked like birth out of the hospital. Um, but 2020 came along and And everything has stopped. So I feel like we just put a halt on any sort of bridge that was happening. Um, And so I feel like while we're still right smack in the middle of it, like I do feel that there is a really important opportunity that we can start to tap back into. Um, It's a perfect example is I had um, a transport situation. I think it was March 4th of 2020 and the paramedics came and they just treated everybody like crap, including the parents, which is unacceptable. I worked on an ambulance. I worked in the emergency room. If you're going to come at me and talk at me, I'm going to talk right back at you with an attitude. If you're going to do that, just because it's unacceptable. And I developed a whole PowerPoint presentation and I wanted to present it to down here, Orange County Fire Authority. So everybody had education. Um, and they, you know, I talked to the people up in education and they all said, yes, great. And then all of a sudden, you know, the world turned upside down. So it just kind of got pushed under the rug. Um, there was another transport situation down here with another midwife and, uh, I got bad feedback about how the, the medics treated them. And so I marched back, back in again. And I said, enough, 
like there has to be a change here. There has to be a way for us to, you know, collaborate for you guys to even know what a midwife is and to know that you're not, you're not walking into a situation with, you know, some just old grandma that doesn't know what they're doing. And it got up, it's approved. I'm recording at the end of the month. I have a whole PowerPoint presentation to present to Orange County Fire Authority. That's two hours long. They're going to receive two hours of continuing education units. And Chino Hills Fire is going to start using it. Like those are the ways that we slowly infiltrate the system because those medics are going into the hospital. Now, if they go into the hospital and they're bad mouthing a midwife to the ER doc, then the ER doc is going to think that midwifery home birth is bad. But if they see us as coming in, with going in for a reason, we're coming in with professional expertise, then they're going to have a much different picture that's painted to these doctors. So it's, it's going to take time. I mean, again, you know, since 2004, I've been trying to just chip away at the, the block, but it's, it's something that we can all do little by little by little, just to get slowly into the system. So before the uh, pandemic hit or the lockdown hit, I guess we should, we should say the idiot, the idiocy um you said that you were you were already you know you had a powerpoint you were already potentially going into hospitals uh you mentioned something about irvine that sort of thing um you did right you said that uh, it was more orange county fire authority at that point so we so it we wasn't were, hospitals it, there wasn't a hospital but before that was uh the uci school of medicine right so yeah. how, how did you get them to listen to you did you approach them did you have a high profile client who knew somebody did that work there? Did I did. How- I, I had a, I had a two physicians that were at UCI working, um, both one was a palliative care doctor. I think the other one was cardiology and they had a home birth with me and they had such a transformative, amazing experience. And she walked in and said to the UCI head of rounds for their medical students that Lindsay has to come and speak at least once a year for these medical students to hear an outside perspective on home birth. And so it was a great foot in the door and I did it for years and years and years. Um, and I need to try to tap back in, but I mean, you know, 2020, they said all, all events were canceled. So, um, but it's, it's a, you know, it was fantastic. I, I actually showed clips of why not home documentary in that. I was just going to bring that up. That's great. Yeah. Cause it, that's if you, if you're not familiar with it, why not home is a fantastic documentary that was done with interviewing nurses and doctors about their home birth experiences. So, um, you, there was just little bits that I added in throughout there and I sent them home with the, you know, homework, hopefully they did it to go wa- finish watching the entire documentary, but they were all very receptive. Always. I always got good be- feedback from those, uh, talks. Yeah. I think that the, the youth in, in medicine, before it's beaten out of them, are always very curious about this sort of thing. And not just curious, they they want to know everything. They want to learn everything. They want to learn breach delivery. They want to learn about midwifery. They, and, and unfortunately, the um, the structure doesn't, doesn't allow it or beats it out of them. And then by the end of their tenure as a resident, um, it's gone. Mm-hmm. And uh, except for in, except in a very few enlightened people like my colleague, Dr. Flores, or, or um, a few other people I know around the country who have contacted me who say, I, I, I want to be a doctor. I want to change the world, but I don't know that I can survive medical school and residency. And I go, you know, and it's a tough conversation that we have because yeah. most people do not survive medical school and residency as the same person they went, were when they went in. Because you have to, if you really keep your true to your values, you, get, you either get beat up or you have to shut up. Uh, you know, I want to, 
I want to tap into that. I say the same thing to midwives all the time. If somebody comes to me and says, I've, Mm. I've trained 15 midwives now. And the first thing I do is try to talk them out of it. Not because the world doesn't need more midwives, because what happens is I found at least half of my students, the sustainability level, if they don't come into it with a solid foundation where they've tapped through all of their, you know, maybe not all of them, but through their traumas where they're in a place where they're not supported by their family. Um, if they don't have a regulated nervous system, they they're done. They private practice midwifery is something that you really have to root yourself into. And it's something that's really important for them to know before jumping into. I know that most midwifery schools typically always leave with half of the class. That's, that's what I see across the board. Really? You're saying that half the class doesn't, uh, graduate, uh, graduate. Yep. They drop out at some point. That's sort of like law school. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, which is the opposite of medical school, by the way, medical yeah. school, they do everything they can to keep you in it. But, but while you're in it, you don't realize what's happening to you. Yeah. Liz. Oh, I was just going to say, we have to admit that it's, um, you know, it's not an easy lifestyle in general. And then the current climate, as Lindsay was pointing to in the beginning, when we were talking about our, our new project, you know, there's not a lot of safe space to mm-hmm. really practice, um, in a way that's traditional to the midwifery ways, because things are getting usurped by medicine, because in order to be professional and prove that you are worthy and that you're, you know, you have to play the game. And so then a lot of the heart of what we do gets lost. And I think that that's the same thing when people are, you know, going into medicine or, you know, doing some of these jobs where they have this vision of being able to change the world. And then the world is stubborn. And doesn't necessarily want to be changed. And so you get, you get tired and beaten down and you, and you decide to choose, you know, um, hanging out with your friends and family and being off call and traveling and, you know, instead of fighting the fight. And then, you know, like there are a few of us unicorns, as we like to say, um, that just can't give up the fight and won't until, you know, we've left our bodies because that's what our passion is. And I think that it, I think tapping into people's true heart and passion is where we're going to um, keep people going, you know, keep them inspired and community, right? Community, Finding our tribe. Community yeah. is everything. And I, I feel yeah. like if we just keep putting down these divisive walls that have been so quickly, deeply installed in our society. Um, I received messages on Instagram all the time. I had a midwife in Utah, I had a midwife in Vermont. Um, and they're, they're all just say their com- community is completely divided. There's nowhere to fall within safe, you know, safe places. And, um, they're, you know, they're, they're seeking bridge midwives. They're seeking these peer reviews that are safe and supported. And, um, it's something that we need to be really careful with because if we, if we continue this division, it's just going to tear everybody down. But I think that's part of the plan, um, in my personal, you know, thought process of it, but it's, it's something that if you're conscious of it, you get to be conscious to work away from it. Yeah. I, I so think tell us, I think you're right on when you say that the purpose is to is to tear you down. When you look at the when you look at the system which is bathed in fear and the and the laws that are put in place, because I I too have a, a focal point for being contacted by midwives all over the country who who say you know there's nobody around here who does breech delivery. I t- I attended your seminar. I feel very comfortable doing them, but if I do them, I could lose my license. Um, so the laws and the rules and stuff that are made in, 
are made by people who aren't doing the service and they're put in place by people who fear birth and don't trust birth, um, who aren't even midwives because lawmakers don't go to midwives to figure out how to do laws. They go to, they go to academic, academic physicians and academic physicians are, you know, it's, it's all backwards. The people that are regulating us don't know anything about what we do. And then they create an environment which is fear-based, which is then taught to midwives in their typical traditional midwifery school. And they come out actually quite nervous that everything is high risk. And if if you're any any little blip on the radar screen, I got to transfer your care to an OB. And I've got to do collaborative care all through your pregnancy with maternal fetal medicine doctor or something. So every time you go in there, you're getting bathed in, in scariness, if that's a word. And um, so the whole thing is, is broken. And, and as you said, Lindsay, I think it is sort of purposeful. It makes the people who fear birth feel good to make other people fear birth and justifies their position in fear, fearing birth. Mm-hmm. Because if there's people like us who, who trust birth it, and have C-section rates of 3% or whatever it is, and do breaches and twins, and they don't, how do they rationalize that in their own brain? Mm-hmm. They have to vilify us, or they have to admit that they've been doing things that aren't right for a long time, and that's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes a lot of stepping back and self-reflection to do that. Um, it, and, and most people won't ever do that in their lifetime, especially if they've been so ingrained with the thought process. But I think as humans, I think we should all be reflecting back. We should always be, you know, saying, what could I do better? What could I do to make this situation better for everybody involved, not just myself? And it's just an unfortunate piece that's not taught in our culture. You know, it's, it's, it's dogmatic in, in the best word, you know, it's, it's just how it is. Yeah. You become a robot. If you, if you, if you stop learning, yeah. if you stop evolving, um, and if you do the same thing the same way all the time and you don't read, you don't want to read anything that's different from what you are, are doing. You don't want to read the literature of somebody who says something like reach delivery is safe uh, because that makes you uncomfortable and makes you have to then think that maybe I'll have to relearn something. One of my, you know, you, I say this almost every podcast, but one of my biggest bugaboos is the idea that, that a, an OB thinks himself a twin expert. Um, just because he's an OB or she, um, because, but they won't touch a twin who's got one of them or both of them breach. Mm -hmm. So if you won't touch a twin when one of them or both of them are breached, then how does that make you a twin expert? And what the hell are you doing taking care of these people? You shouldn't be, but they're sort of kind of on a railroad track that doesn't have any side branches and off they go in the same direction all the time with no deviation. I'm an OB, you got twins, I'll just section you and I'll schedule you for 37 weeks and, and I've done a great job. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which is so unfortunate. Cause I mean, the, the breaches that we've attended, well, I should say twins and breaches that we've attended, they're stunning. They're beautiful. They're gorgeous. And, and the, each one of those situations would have ended up in the hospital with a C-section. So it's just, you know, prior to 2014, when they rewrote our licensure, midwives were attending those breaches and twins without 
Dr. Stu present <laughs> without OBs present. Um, and we have the skills. So it's just, you know, once we have these laws that force us into these boxes and it, all it does is it takes away from the woman's right to have a profound experience with her family, with herself, you know, I do. Yeah. And it's expensive to, to, to look a woman in the eye and say, Hey, you, you get to pay me and you have to pay Dr. Stu or Dr. Flores now. And I mean, if it's worth it to them, they'll make it work, but it's, it's, you know, it's something that it's really unfortunate that insurance companies aren't covering these things. A, a twin hospital birth, if they were vaginal, what would that cost you? Probably close to a hundred thousand dollars. Well, that's what they would charge. What the insurance companies will pay will be a lot less because the insurance yeah. companies and the hospitals are sort of, they're negotiated, they're in cahoots and they negotiate yeah. rates and they do certain things, making sure they'll always exclude the fact that they won't cover home birth or other things. I, you know, I can't prove that that's truth, but that, but if I was an actuary working for an insurance company, I would say, well, let's pay for home birth because it's yeah. going to save us a lot of money. So there's got to be a reason they're not doing it. Now, I'm not so sure it's a great idea for any of our colleagues to be taking insurance because once you take insurance, you become a slave to the insurance company and they can then begin to dictate to you, especially if you get a lot of clients through that insurance, like what happened to most doctor's practices is they, they took Blue Cross and they get in a book and they get a lot of their clients are from Blue Cross and then Blue Cross says, okay, we're going to only pay you 30% of what we paid you last year. Take it or leave it. And so a doctor says, well, I, I, I guess I'll have to take it because I can't afford to lose 40% of my practice. So they get, you get caught and you get, they get you by the pubes and, and, uh, <laughs> but, well, they, they do. <laughs> Lindsay. So tell us about your practice. Tell us a little bit about how you came into midwifery and tell us about what your practice looks like now. And how you got so confident and so skilled. <laughs> well, thank you, Stu. Um, I got into midwifery after my own birth, my first birth. Um, I was already in the medical field straight out of high school. I went and started working on an ambulance in the emergency room. And I, um, was actually accepted into nursing school the month I found out that I was pregnant. And I kind of said, eh, I don't want to go that way. And, um, I, I had my daughter at the hospital that I worked at just because that's what we did. And I wanted a natural birth. And I, course ended up with the exact opposite. I was young. I was 21 when I had my daughter. Um, I had a induction based on my daughter being too big. It was a day before my due date. Um, and I ended up with a 14 hour induction with cytotech and Pitocin and AROM and an epidural that didn't work and had to be replaced. And, you know, 1130 PM doctor walks in and says, your baby's not coming. I was only two centimeters. And, uh, I had my mom and my mother-in-law who both had C-sections that said, well, of course your body doesn't work. So we mm -hmm. went the C-section route. Um, during the C-section, I felt everything. I felt it all. And I asked for them to put me to sleep and they, um, sedated me after my daughter was born, but I still heard everything at that point. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I worked at the hospital, so I knew the machine. So the only way I knew that I was still alive is if I breathed a certain way, I could make the, the alarms go off on the machines. And I came out of that experience. I mean, imagine that as a 21 year old, right. And I came out and I just looked straight at my daughter and had the most beautiful attachment parenting, you know, breastfeeding went great. I was completely in sync and in tune with her needs, but I just had this deep wound that 
um, I felt like if I helped women, you know, if I became like the rescuer, which is not what I tell people to get into birth nowadays, because you don't need to be the rescuer. Um, but that was what I went into it with. Like, I don't ever want another woman to experience what I just experienced and how can I help them not do this? And so I started working, um, in the hospital-based setting. I worked, um, as a childbirth educator and as a doula, um, I got in trouble every week as a childbirth educator from the doctors who said, stop teaching these women so many things. They're coming in and asking too many questions. Thank God. Um, and then I said, you know, I don't, this isn't changing anything. I felt like an accomplice to a crime. I hated going into the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I um, became a lactation consultant, went down to UCSD, you know, thousands of hours doing lactation, ran a lactation clinic at the hospital. And by the end of it, I became so jaded. I'd walk in the postpartum unit and I'd start counting the board with how many C-sections there were. I knew every single one of those moms would be in the lactation clinic that day. Looked at the inductions, knew every single one of those moms would be in the lactation clinic that day. And I just, again, thought I'm not making a difference. Like I, anybody can tell a mom how to breastfeed. I don't need a freaking IBCLC credential for it. Um, and I, I had a colleague that was starting a midwifery school down in San Diego. And she said, come like, I want you in. And I said, of course it's a no brainer. So I was part of the first graduating accredited class down at this San Diego school. And I haven't looked back. I, so it's been 15 years of doing home births now. Um, and I've completely shifted and changed my practice in every way possible. And I feel like that's just part of birth and it's part of birthing in today's current times. And it's part of, you know, welcoming these women into this space and shifting my perspective of being this people pleaser, trying to help women have these incredible experiences into shifting it back to them, having their own empowering experiences. You know, it's, it's something that is essential for traditional midwifery in my opinion. So, yeah. Yeah. And then 2009, I had my own great birth experience with my son. He was born in the backyard in the jacuzzi under the stars. So I've had two very different birth experiences. An H-back. An H-back. Yes. (laughs) In the jacuzzi. In the jacuzzi. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I do have to ask you a question that I know everybody's going to want to know. You are a stunning woman, but um, Mm -hmm. how in the hell do you have such beautiful pictures, like at birth, probably at like three o'clock in the morning. We need to know, Lindsay, how, how do you do this? I have good genes. I don't know. <laughs> my, my, my 71 year old mother looks like she's in her fifties. So I don't know. I I'm just blessed with being photogenic. I, I laugh and you know, I'll like make weird faces and my kids will be like, what are you doing? I'm like, look at how weird I look. They're like, mom, you're always photogenic. Even if you're, you know, <laughs> trying to look weird, but I also, um, I, I love photography. Photography is something that's always been a passion of mine. I was the photo editor of my yearbook in high school. So I've always, and I worked at a photography studio and, um, I have a really great professional camera that I bring to birth with me and I, you know, no light room and shadows and highlights and all of that stuff too. So it's, it's not, well, it shows my friends and I are always like, Oh my God, look at this one. Lindsay's smiling every time. <laughs> How does she do it? Well, you know, the smiling, I, I, that's just part, it's so joyful, right? Like I just, every time I, that I see, I see these pictures and I'm like, gosh, I'll, 
I can't believe I'm smiling in every single one of these pictures. It's just (laughs) so incredible. So it shows, it shows how much you love your work and the quality of your work and, and your attention to detail and beauty and passion. It just, it exudes from every image that we see of you. And so Thank you. It's kind I of think, a joke, but not. <laughs> I think I think every birth worker, um, at the time where they take that picture where mom and dad are in bed holding the baby and stuff like, if you're not smiling as a birth worker, get out. <laughs> there's something wrong with you, okay? Because because that's the culmination of all we do. Tell us about Bamboobies, Bliss. They're one of our sponsors. They've been a sponsor for us for a long time. Bamboobies has really stepped up and been a major contributor to this podcast, and we're so thankful. They are a great company that um, is committed to the comfort for mom and baby. They've got great eco-conscious line um, that I love, coming from bamboo breast pads to uh, nursing tanks, wonderful teas and salves, um, all uh, focused on on the comfort of mom and baby and making sure that the environment is taken care of as well. So go check them out. And Stu's got a wonderful code for you so that yeah. you can use that to yeah. support so go us to their website, Bamboobies. Yeah, go to their website, bamboobies.com and go to their boutique, uh, their online store and buy some stuff. And then when you check out, <laughs> <laughs> when you check out, um, put fill in- up your cart. Put in the code word instincts and you get 25% off. So that's bamboobies.com code word instincts for 25% off of your purchase. Thanks, Bamboobies. Thanks, Bamboobies. I was just listening to what you were saying before I made a couple of notes. I just want, Bliss knows I do this when, when people are talking. So first of all, I think, I think extraordinary might be a little bit too hard because there's a lot of people that have the same story as you do about taking an experience they had and making it into uh, lemonade rather than, you know, lemons and your birth experience was not great, but you decided that you needed to do something about it as opposed to just internalizing it and not ever dealing with it. And we know that that happens all the time because you'll see women years and years and years after they, their birth and they're still traumatized by it, or they've never really dealt with it you made, you took action and you made, and you got something done and you accomplished a lot since that. So that's extraordinary, Lindsay. And I'm not just praising you because I love you, but I'm praising you because the work that you've done and the motivation and, and your publicity and your, and your Instagram site, which is what at Lindsay, it, Lindsay Milas. Yeah. It's, uh, I'll spell Milas M E E H L E I S. It's, it's, it'll be in the, it'll be in the show notes, Yep. but it, but it is, uh, people should go there and people should, um, if you want to see birth in a good light, that's where you should go. I have a quick question for you. You said that you were induced at 39 weeks and six days um, for a big baby. So I was just curious as to how big, <laughs> how big was this big yeah. baby that you gave yeah. birth to uh, by cesarean section? She was eight pounds, 12 ounces. And what was my age back? Nine pounds. Right. Yeah. So in other words, the big baby thing was classic. You just got that casket. You got on that, that train track going to nowhere with the cascade of interventions. It was classic um, that happened to you. And there was no reason that any of that should have happened. There was no reason you need to be induced at 39 weeks and six days. And now they've down, now they're bringing it down to 39 weeks Yeah, that they're telling people they need to be induced and they're using all these terms. And even though in our, in our world, we all know that this is bullshit. um, It's still every single day being done in every single doctor's office. Yeah. um, In, 
countries around the world. Yeah. Um, some countries far worse than what's going on here. I'm going to be giving a talk in September via Zoom to uh, an audience in Armenia. Mm-hmm. And I've been communicating with the women, uh, the woman who's running it there, Asterisk. And, and <clears throat> what she describes to me as the paternalistic system that's going on in Armenia makes ours look you know, greatly progressive compared to what's going on in Armenia. So um, I know I, I admire the fact that you took your energy and you took it in this direction and look at all the good that you've done since that time. Speaking of which, by the way, I did make a list of, because I knew you were coming on the show, I made a list of the births that you and I have worked on over the last, I'd say eight years or so Yeah. at home birth. Do you, do you have any idea how many there were? No, I don't. I was trying to think about this on my drive over to the, my office. And I was like, gosh, we've, I feel like we've done so many, but it, I, I don't know. I can't wait to hear. Well, they're the pretty all memorable. I, I, there, yeah. there, were, there, there were 15 that I could find. Okay. All right. So it seems like there might've been more, but that's really, there were 15. We probably consulted on a lot more. Have I called in prescriptions for a lot of your people? Have oh, I yeah. done all that stuff? Yeah. Tons yeah, and tons and tons and tons of stuff. But you know, I think never- it's I think it's amazing that all the years that I worked with Stu, that that I was not at any births with you. I know it's so sad. It makes me sad. We have to do a birth together. I would love it, but now we're like so far apart. But we'll see what magic happens. Yes, always. <laughs> yeah, because if we ever had twins in Orange County, it would be Lindsay already has her team all together generally. That's so probably I just, true. I just show up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you remember who our first one was? You won't. No. I won't expect you to remember. She, no. she was Ty. Oh, the breach. Yeah. On the, yes. on the birth stool in front of the fireplace. Yes, that right. was a good one. That was New Year's Day, I think, wasn't it? Oh, I, I didn't look at the dates. Or New Year's Eve. I think it was New Year's Eve. Yeah. it was, That was a beautiful birth. My God. Yeah. This woman didn't speak a word of English. Mm-mm. She didn't need to because everything she did was exactly what any woman, same sounds. By the way, yeah. Thai women make the same sounds in labor <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that Mexican women do or Canadian women do or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we knew exactly what was happening. And it was a, um, I think it was a complete breach because I think the, I have this famous picture of the of the legs hanging out. That's yep, one of the was. things I use in my one, uh, in my teaching, uh, the legs hanging out like that. And I use it to say, say what would a, the average OB think if he saw this picture? <laughs> and they'd yeah. be they'd be pooping in their pants is what they'd be thinking. So and there was there was no skip of a beat with that one. I mean, she trusted her body. She was from a, like an indigenous village. Like she wasn't part of regular Thai, you know, culture. Like she wasn't in Thailand and you know, she she definitely had her own it was a different dialect than yeah. even the Thai language. And I mean, God, I'm sure she saw several breaches in her childhood, you know, like they didn't go to the hospital. Nobody went to the hospital there. They just had the village midwife and, or heard of several breaches if she didn't see them. And it was just part of regular life. There was no fear. Yeah. It was assumed to be normal. And I I guess this must've been after 2014 because before 2014, you probably wouldn't have called me. Yeah, it was, it was right. (laughs) Okay. So then, um, the next one we did together was just a woman who was over 42 weeks. Yes. So it was just yeah. a, it, it was just a, uh, they were, do, there was two that day and they were both 44 weeks. Do you remember that? Oh, there were two of them. There was two. We went from one birth to the other. They were 44 weeks. They were 44 weeks. Mm. Yeah. yeah. We've talked about that before on the podcast. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, um, what I'm saying is, is that you, the only reason I had to be there was because the laws of California it made yeah. no sense. What did I do? What, what Lindsay, what did I do with those births? 
I, I, you always just kind of sit on the couch or sit, <laughs> or sit right next to me, you know, no. it's, it's just one of those things that it's like, if, if, if needed, we, I turn and look at you and we have an unseen spoken, you know, language. And, but I mean, the hands on births that we do are vacuum assists, you know, that's, that's when your hands are there helping me. Yeah. We've done just, um, it seems like more, but we've only, we've done three vacuums and one forceps together. Yep. That that's forcep it. was, uh, earlier this year. So how many sets of twins did we do together? I don't know. Tell me. Five, just five, yeah. just five. And you were, oh, I remember every single one of them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I could look back and remember every single one of them, but I'm surprised. It seems like it's way more. Yeah. You want to know their names? Tell me. Okay. Gemma. Yep. Gemma's beautiful. Yeah. Well, they were all, they, they were all, all of them were beautiful. All the twins were beautiful. Yep. There was Meredith. Yes. That was right before Christmas. Yeah. She was like 30, 30 almost 36 weeks, 35 yeah. and a half weeks, 35 and five or something like that. And they came out boom, boom in the tub. Remember yep. that? Yep. Yeah. Perfect. I think they were each five, five, one and five, four was their weight. I remember that. Right. And then we had the one transport, the one, one yes. twin transport that I, of all the multiple twins that I've ever taken care of, this is the only one. And this was a woman who was breech breech twins. Uh, she had a previous vaginal delivery and um, both twins were over eight pounds. The baby A was, what was he? Nine, 15 or something? one was like nine and a half. Yeah. yeah. And the other yeah. one was over eight and yeah. uh, still, I, I'm still baffled. She got to seven centimeters and she, she just stayed at seven centimeters. And, and uh, so we had to transfer her. And of course she got a C-section because there's no option for people with a breech first mm -hmm. twin pretty much anywhere anymore. No. So um but that was the, that I, I think I've done 48, 49 sets of twins um, who are multips, and I've had one that didn't succeed. So 98 plus percent success rate. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I know there's no research on this, um, but I always, that, those were IVF babies. And I always look and think like, hmm, I don't know, you know, like there's just that level of curiosity within me that makes me think that like, why, why did that happen that way? Is it because we used you know, reproductive assistance, or I don't know. It's just, it's always in the back of my head. You know, I'm doing my data for breaches because uh, Rixa and I are working on a paper and, and uh, I'm looking at IVF and IVF moms I've noticed had a lot more uh, trans, a uh, lot higher rate of transport prior to labor. Yeah. So in other words, uh, problems earlier in pregnancy, not, not labor transports, what we call transfers of care. Yep. Um, but once they got to labor, I didn't notice any difference. Now, case my numbers don't reach statistical significance. I don't have that many, Yeah. but, um, yeah, I mean, just, you know, in my own small practice, I've, I've noticed, and it's not even necessarily the birth, but there's always something that's just kind of like different about them. Like it, it's just, they, I, either they, they don't nurse right away, or we have to give them a little bit of assistance with breathing. And I don't want this to present fear. I don't want any IVF person to think that this is fearful, but there's just always something in the back of my head that I just think like, Oh, there, there, there must be something that's a little bit different. You know, it is going outside of the norm. Um, and so it's just something that I always think about. Yep. Okay. So the next set of twins, neither one of us was at the birth. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> the famous yes. one. Yes. That, that one was Morgan. amazing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was running up the stairs with baby B and I heard her screaming my name. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I always joke about, I, I had another set of twins that did the same sort of thing. They, they, I think they took castor oil without really telling us that they were doing it or they did it sooner than we expected them to do it. And 
I think that they always planned or sort of intended to deliver unassisted. They wanted to have us as backup, at least I know. And the reason I know that is because both times that this happened, the, the birth photographer happened to be there. Made it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know this birth photographer lived in their neighborhood, so she was closer than we were, but <clears throat> Bodie's mom was also a midwife. So I think that, you know, I mean, old, you know, she hadn't practiced in yep. probably 20, 30 years, but she definitely had the experience of being a midwife. So I think that they knew that they were in good hands, but with their next birth, uh, it was really interesting because Bodie was like, I do not want to be alone again. Like, like I was updated every step of the process with, um, with her next labor. And it, it definitely was, I, I made it clearly, but, um, it was interesting because he was very adamant that he did not want to be alone for that birth. Yeah. I had just got, it was so funny because I had just gotten back from teaching Yes, and I had to, I had to drive to pick up my gear because Dr. Chavira was having my gear because he was backing me while I was gone. So that little extra time that I had to go to get my gear is the, what, what yeah. happened, but I, yeah. I still got there and I still, I, it was still just, it was just beautiful. It's I saw perfect. the video. Yeah, it was video. And I'm, I'm sure that it, the, that the father is probably going to be telling this story his entire life. So of that's course. really cool, right? Of course. By the way, he's probably delivered more twins vaginally than half the OBs in the country. So. Pathetic um, <laughs> is that. <laughs> um, and the last one was Crystal. Yes. Which was great. I mean, that was yeah. baby's, baby's number 11 and 12 or something for her, I think, or something like that. <laughs> no, it was like. It was four and five. Four and five, yeah. Yeah. Four. Five. four and five and that was a that's a nice that's a beautiful photograph too yeah it hangs on my wall i'm going to show you over here but it's it's right there there's yeah. there's stew <laughs> yeah I'm, and I'm just leaning against the couch i wasn't sitting i yep. was i was leaning on the couch and actually my cousin who was a do student uh, uh was in town visiting me and so she got to come and witness yep. something that hopefully will have changed will change her life and Two the lives of her finds- future clients Yep. Two fish finds in the room. That two was fish finds in the room. That, yeah. That doesn't happen very often. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. I'll never get my own daughter to come to a birth. Uh, <laughs> that isn't going to happen. So, and then, and then we did um, one, we did one birth together where a woman was under 30, uh, 37 weeks. Yep. She was 35 and four, I think. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I didn't write it down. Yeah. It just one, she's been ruptured for four days Yep. and she was still early uh, under. So then, yeah, you know, I came because of the law. I, there was no reason I had to be there for that one either. Yeah, and that baby um, was perfect. Do you remember the weight, Lindsay? <laughs> she was, probably does. I think it. I think it was like six one or six two, something like that. He was a good sized baby. Yeah. For for that gestation. Yeah. 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 What's the smallest baby you've ever caught? I think it was the twins. I think it was. I think it was five one. Bliss, what's yours? Do you remember? Um. Was it we the breach had, that we did? Was it the breach that we did together? That little teeny baby breach? I'm sure we've had a baby that was under five. Oh, we, we had several. I mean, the yeah. twins, the twins. Um, oh no, that it was over five. I've had a couple that were in the in the, in the high fours, yeah. right? Yeah, and those babies, you you know, because I think that even in our in midwifery law now, it says I think we've talked about this too that it says that we're supposed to transport automatically. Yeah, but you know, um, you watch those babies and you can just, you, you know, normal, you just know, you know, that, that this baby is fully developed and, you know, and I'm not talking about babies that come out that early, but you know, um, 
yeah, you just know. You can look at them and go, this baby is doing and when just we know, And when we have small babies like that, we, we automatically, if we know ahead of time, we'll automatically have donor milk frozen in the freezer. And if we don't, we'll get it, we'll get it shipped over that day. But the idea that you just said, Bliss, is that you know, our, our laws or our bylaws or our rules state we're supposed to transfer that. It's that you've taken all the individualization, you've taken all the, why do you go through all this training to become a midwife, to learn NRP, to become a, a, a mother baby unity specialist, to be, then be told by some algorithm that this baby has to go and this one's doing perfectly fine and has to be compared to every other baby that weighs the same amount and taking these arbitrary uh, categories and making them into mandates. Yeah, uh, it, it's mindless. It's stupid. Why does anybody go to medical school anymore? You just just read an algorithm. Yeah. You know, there's a Dr. Niles Bergman. I don't know if you, either of you have heard of him before, but he's a, a pretty famous neonatologist out of South Africa. And he, they don't have NICUs in some of those places. There's no NICUs. And, they, you know, they're doing kangaroo care uh, at 26, 28 weeks. And the outcomes of those babies are fantastic because that, you know, they're just kind of they're like little baby joeys and their mommy's kangaroo pouch. And, and they sit there for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I have a student that I trained that opened a hospital in Africa and Uganda. And again, they don't have the option of transferring to a NICU and that's what they do. And it's, so it's just, it's, it's really frustrating. I recently had a 33 weeker that went into labor and, um, usually I can stop it, but I, she called me too late and, um, she gave birth to a four pound baby that didn't need to be in the NICU. he should have spent zero time in the NICU. And I have, it was probably the worst thing they could have done for that particular baby was put the baby in the NICU away from mom's skin and mom's smell and mom's bacteria and mom's nipples and mom's and and dad's too. But it's the worst thing they can do, but they, but there's a protocol, every baby that's born with a vacuum, every baby that's born under a certain weight, every baby that's born to a diabetic, they're all lumped into one category of, Go to the NICU because we can then use have billable charges and we can make money. Yep. And when if a baby needs to go to the NICU, it should go to the NICU. But just because a baby is in a category does not mean it should go to the NICU. And yet they go to the NICU and that there and it's there's it's so obvious to anybody who steps outside why they do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate. How do you keep oh go ahead? I was going to say, um, Lindsay, tell us how you keep these mommies from um, going into preterm labor. You said I can usually stop it. What's uh, your I typically will use Epsom salt baths, magnesium, fish oil, and then there's an herb that I love that's called Carry On. It's a combo herb um, mm-hmm. by Trilight, I think is the name of the company. And it has the false unicorn root herb in it, which is, I love, that's like, of course there's a, an herb called false unicorn root. Um, but I've actually seen that herb re- reverse cervical dilation. Like I have felt somebody that was five centimeters and they took that herb religiously for over a 24 hour period. And they came back in the office and they were one to two centimeters. So it's a pretty effective potent herb. Yeah. You know, what's the, the problem I've had with some of these um, things that you have to order is like, you just don't have that much time. So your recommendation yeah. is you should probably have it. Yeah. And I have the benefit of having a, a birth kit supply company in my garage. I know. <laughs> so I have everything always. <laughs> oh yeah. Before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about that. But before we get to that, I just want to mention that the last three deliveries we did together were breaches. So we've done three, we've done three breaches. together. Yes. And I think their last breach, the, her birthday's a year ago today. 
That was our last breach. Today. Well, happy birthday. Yeah. Would that have been uh, Carly? Ba- it would have been, yeah, baby Marlo. See, <laughs> that's even amazing that you remember <laughs> all your moms and all your mom's babies' names. Yes. And probably all I the have... husbands' names and probably all the other kids in the family's names, too. Uh-huh. I have a very weird memory. I remember uh, it's a, a great lot memory. of things. <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great asset for what you do. Though. So that's yeah. great. Oh, so so you did, Britain. you mentioned the fact that you have a garage full of stuff. So um, I think everybody, not everybody, but most of the midwives in Southern California um, use your garage full of stuff. Yes, they so do. How do. So how does that work? It's simplybirth.com. Simplybirth.com. And uh, we acquired that business. Uh, we mean me and my husband uh, back in 2015, we bought it from a company that was called Confident Beginnings and I rebranded it. And it was a way for my husband to be home with my kids, uh, he, not, you know, driving away to his office. And uh, we we run a full birth kit company out of our garage. And so it's, it, you know, it's great because I'm in the field with it. So I know what things are really effective to have and anything that I feel is effective we have. And so we serve, I think we're right now we're close to probably 400 midwives that we serve um, nationwide. And it's, I mean, it's just a fun little niche thing that my husband does while I am out doing births. Well, I have a suggestion. Yes. Tell me for your, for your, uh, packaged drinks that you, you know, those little packaged drinks that people mix into the water. Yep. You should change to element. I, 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 I started, I started carrying element elements and all, all of my birth kits now. So yeah, yeah, I Uh, love element element is I, I have element right here. This is it's, it's my favorite. So I love element. Yeah, I uh, got I finally got my sample kit from uh, Element and yeah. um, I had some raspberry salt yesterday and it was salty. It's salty, but, but, but it's it t- good. But it, was, but it was good and it was actually quenching because I had just gone for a long bike ride and I came mm-hmm. back and I think Diet Coke Element. Yeah. Yay! Good job, still. Element Yay, one. Stu. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Right, <laughs> no. Now all I need to do is get like a bamboobies pad for my butt. <laughs> and, then I'd, and then I'd be uh, really sponsoring. Our sponsors would be doing me a great service. Hey, <laughs> Stu. Yeah. Hey, Stu. Um, give the element code. Oh, well, you go to drinkelement.com. That's L-M-N-T, drinkelement.com. And use the code word birthing instincts. I got to be sure go. it's correct. Because uh, it's <laughs> one of them's instincts and one of them's birthing instincts. So let me just check. It is birthing instincts. Right. There you go. And you'll get uh, a free sample pack with any order that you take in. Correct. Check it out. Drinkelement.com. Thanks, Element. Thank you, Element. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So so, um, what kind of stuff do you carry at Simply Birth? And how do people, I mean, like I set up an account and so people go and they put in code word fish mine. Um, I should probably change that to birthing instincts now that we've got Dr. Flores on board, but maybe I'll just, I'll, I'll write to you about that. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then, and then you get what you order, but sometimes you throw in extra stuff and uh, how do you decide? So it's, it's all custom kits. It's, it's, everybody makes their own size gloves and whatever they want in their birth kits. I, I always, whenever anybody emails about inquiring to start a new kit, I always send my kit as a sample. Um, just because I feel like it has everything where no parents out looking to go find, you know, things on the home Depot aisle for shower adapters and all of that weird stuff. Um, and it's, it's all custom based. So it's, it's, it's pretty simple. They just email them what they want and we make a kit for them. They have a link and then they just direct all of their clients that way. 
And do they? I love your I love your kit because it includes things like vitamin K. Yes, it has the tub liners. It has you know it has uh, cord care if you want it. It's got little footprints. It really does. It it really is a great kit. Thank Um, you. yeah, both Stu and I, um, and sounds like Dr. Flores, um, love your kit. So it's a great and, thing. And do you ship all over the country? Yeah, we do. We ship okay. all over the country. Well, I, I expect you'll, you'll be getting some new business. <laughs> I wasn't planning on this. Which is but not hey. why we had you on the, on no. the <laughs> So uh, we're going to wrap up soon. Um, is there anything else, um, Bliss, that you would like to ask of Lindsay? I, I was just going to ask Lindsay, you know, what is... I mean, this is a moment to be on your platform, you know, your anything that feels really important to your heart that you would like for us to hear from you today. Oh man. I, I mean, I'm going to tie it back into this bridge midwifery project that we're doing, you know, bliss. And I have spent a lot of time lately too on zoom calls. And I just feel like it's so important for us to provide a space for, um, birth workers, birth keepers to, come together and to have a place where they feel like they can actually communicate in a way that they're not going to be prosecuted. And I just, I, I, you know, it's a, it's an uphill battle that we're all working at. And I, I think if we all tie in our energy to it, that we will have the momentum to carry forward, um, to help continue shifting normal birth, normal physiological birth, um, which should be something that's just so simple, but it's, it's so complicated. And so if we, you know, collectively tie our passions together, we'll, we'll make a difference. I know we already are. Yay. I yeah, love in, in, a, in a world that's full of, I think we all admit the world's full of chaos right now. Yes. Wouldn't it be nice to have more families start out in peace mm-hmm. and love and have their babies come into the world in a place where it's not chaotic and where the traditions of nature are honored. Um, and that's, it's going to be the home because it's not going to be in the hospital. Mm-hmm. The hospital is not going to change. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, no. Stu. That's just I don't, I don't remember who said that, that quote of uh, peace on earth begins with gentle birth. Do you guys remember? That's- I think it, it might have been Ina May, maybe Robin. Um, I'll have to look it up. Yeah. But, you know, it's very true. You know, we talk about so many things when it comes to birth, because we're just trying to like open people's eyes. But if we really get down to the most simple of it is this is the way that the, our new souls are being imprinted as they, as they are coming here. And if, and if we want to change things, all of us believe that we we're going to change it by bringing in these babies in the most peaceful way and empowering these mothers to lead their families and their communities um, and we really do believe that that's going to be the thing that changes. Yeah. So that's why we do this. And that's, that's why even when we're tired, we get up <laughs> to have a conversation or to go and help a baby come in. So it's yeah. so true. I'll, I will always say that I became a midwife first for baby's experience of birth and mom second, not that they're not both equally important, but the way that we help welcome these babies into the world is one of the most important things that can ever happen. Yeah. Agreed. Well, it's so lovely to see you. I'm so glad that Stu suggested we bring you on this week. And um, I know that I'll be getting to see you virtually again very soon too. And if we can get that message out to 
to future medical students, future doctors to understand that because what you just, what you just said, Lindsay, is something that, that you'll never hear as a uh, medical student or a resident um, about doing it for the babies and doing it for the mothers and, and, and having the mother baby unity be something that, that is a prior, that's a priority as opposed to the priority that we're trained to, which is my famous comment about baby being in the bassinet. Um, how it gets there doesn't matter. And it does matter. And it changes everything. And Bliss's monologue from last week is so great about, we've gone full circle now, it's so great about explaining why that's so important and why empowerment of women is so important and the system is so disempowering and, and, and purposely so. It needs to change but it's not gonna change from within. So women out there in America, you need to demand these things. You need to look elsewhere. The hospital is not gonna be your savior. Nope. Amen. Amen. Okay. <laughs> Lindsay, if people wanna reach you uh, again, what's the best ways to reach, uh, to, to find you on your social platforms? So social media is at Lindsay Milis, and then there's always ocmidwifery.com, which is a, a, you know my email and phone numbers on that website. Okay. Yeah. Thanks okay for, thank you so much for joining us. To everybody else, have a great week. Yes. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram.